If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, as we're going to be putting our attention in. That's Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. And we're, we're continuing. We've been in Luke for a little while now, and we've called this, uh, this series A Story for Sinners and Sufferers. And we've titled it A Story for Sin and Sinners and Sufferers, Sufferers excuse me, because... Throughout this gospel, we get to see the realness of Jesus coming to a people desperately in need for him, in need of his grace, in need of his healing power. And we find ourselves wrapped up in that same story. So how Jesus speaks to people, we find that same message coming to us today. But today is a particularly special time because we get to see Jesus kind of sharing another parable that has this beautiful relationship between God and his people, between God and us. So Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, I want to kind of just jump in where we've just left this very confronting passage of Jesus speaking to his disciples first and turning to the crowds, and he's still kind of doing so, where he's saying the gospel is a message that not everybody is going to want to hear. That following me will, have a, will take sacrifice. You will be persecuted in one way or another through following me. But then Jesus kind of turns that, and then he kind of brings in a new message in a new way after people kind of think that when he says, you're not interpreting the times correctly, that they say, no, I think we're interpreting the times just fine. So they seek to interpret the times for Jesus. And that's what we're kind of jumping right into. And through that, we see the power of God at work in his son Christ, speaking to what these people desperately need which they desperately need a savior. And he teaches that and he, and he shows us that. So we're going to kind of jump into this in verses one through two, where Jesus, he asks a difficult question to clarify a type of misconception people often assume. And in so doing, Jesus is addressing the pain of reality. So what, is it, what does that mean? The pain of reality. Well, let's look at this together. This is verses 1 through 2. It says, At that time, some people came and reported to him about the, Galatia, or about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And he responded to them, Do you think these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? So I'm going, to, I'm going to pause you right there. I also just want to let you know we have sermon, uh, out, a sermon outline available um, and printed. If you needed that, you can keep following along with us. But moments like this, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but as you're reading this, it might be confusing as to saying, Pastor Mark, what are we talking about here? <laughs> what, what, is, what is happening? I'm hearing Galileans mixing with their blood with sacrifices. What's, what's going on? So taking just a little step back, we'll kind of, kind of get into this. But this does feel sporadic on purpose. Jesus had just given this message. 
He had just shared, he'd been teaching them what it means to interpret the times. He had just been instructing them that not to be hypocritical, but to understand the time at which they live in. And this comment is very sporadic and drawing as if someone had a very random cultural hot topic that they suddenly just brought to Jesus while he's in front of the crowd. So have you ever seen like when someone is up on like a politician or someone's up on stage and a reporter wants to just like get them with that random kind of curveball instant or situation that's happening and then everybody's waiting for the reaction of that person? That's kind of exactly like what we're seeing right now. But that never works with Jesus. Jesus always like cuts to the heart of every kind of situation which is he's going to do. But what they're talking about is this instance that caused a lot of confusion and it caused somewhat of an uproar, which is there was a type of massacre that occurred. As we look at like history, we can kind of pinpoint it to a couple of things. But basically, Pilate sent out Roman guards to go to some Jews um, to this group of Galileans, right? And what happened was the Roman soldiers interrupted some moment when the Jews were kind of on their way to be making these sacrifices, right? And these sacrifices are animals. So they have animals, right? They're holding lambs. They're holding, you know, they're carrying bulls. They're doing all these things. And some type of violent thing broke out. And people were were killed, right? The Roman soldiers killed these Jews and their blood splattered on the sacrificial animals. So this is full layers of complexity. First, it's like the Romans disrespecting the Jews in their time of worship and their time of sacrifice, right? Second, the animals who were without blemish are now totally blemished. And it cost something. That was their one lamb. That was their prized bull. That was the sacrificial bull. For it to be now covered with blood is a big deal. It's not like they had another one. So there's an, there's an outrage over that. But then third, it's how can this, it's a political stance. How can the, the Romans and these Jews now work together when such an atrocity has happened? So it's a big deal. It's on everyone's mind. And it's kind of randomly brought to Jesus as he's sharing this message of interpreting the times correctly. But if we could see, if we were in the crowd and we could see this conversation unfolding, we would find a similar posture of the people that we see today, which is people attempting to get Jesus' commentary on this racial, social, national issue while interpreting it for him. And that's what Jesus wants to get at. Remember, Jesus had just rebuked them. So naturally, they felt this was a good time to kind of show that they could interpret those times. The key word in this passage that I want you to see is reported. They didn't ask Jesus what happened. They told him. Do you see that? They didn't ask him what had happened. 
to interpret the scene, they told him the scene. And here we see spiritual blindness. You see a spiritual blindness that these people were going through. And it's the same thing that we, kind of, that we often see today. We see people eager, Christians eager to interpret the times for Jesus, to come and tell him what is happening without asking him to discern, to give us the wisdom and discernment to follow him in it. Right now there's this, I don't know if you're, on Instagram, you may see this, um, the Asbury Revival. If, I don't know if you guys have seen that. There's this college, there's just this flood of the generation, younger generation, generation disease kind of coming in and worshiping. It's happened for like days and days and days, and it's this big thing. But as that happens, whatever it is, there's a lot of commentary on this whole revival. Right? Um, some people are making jokes about it. Others are being more critical about it. The Babylon Bee, they made this one, they make like fake articles and they had said, um, Asbury College revival happens um, day before massive project, like group project is due, you know? And it's, it's like everybody's praying, you know, as this group project. I thought it was funny. I don't know. But anyway. But other people are talking about it. And then there was one person who made this, this post that I thought was kind of intriguing, where they said, you know, people, God, we need revival. God answers with, here you go. To which we reply, here are my list of concerns, critiques, and cautions about it. We have to be so careful that when Jesus calls us to look at the times at which we live, that we're not interpreting them on our behalf, but we're asking questions and letting him interpret them for us. And as we go back to looking at what's happening with these people, there's a sense of judgment coming on that these Galileans had done something awful to deserve this type of massacre that had happened. And Jesus is correcting them in that, saying that a catastrophe is not a proof of a special sin. The reason for death cannot be interpreted on physical realities alone. These victims weren't more sinful than the people reporting them. So there's a, a deeper spiritual reality that Jesus is connecting everyone to in this moment. If you're coming to Jesus with reports and commentary on events happening around you and assuming his response, perhaps you're talking too much. Ask yourself this question. Is there a deeper issue God wants to show me? We are called to trust Christ in every area, in every topic, he is our great physician and our great interpreter. Our job isn't just to report, but to ask and trust him. If we want, we want to trust Christ with everything, as we are called to. But that takes another act of faith. 
which Jesus begins to kind of highlight here, which is a turn away from selfish motives and selfish desires and turns towards Christ in submission and direction. This is a dynamic of repentance. The dynamic of repentance. So let me draw your attention as he, as he continues to go through verses 3 through 5, where Jesus responds to this group, this group of reporters, but in the way that they totally don't expect. It's in this moment we see the purpose of repentance in it. This is verse 3. No, I tell you, uh, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. So, just to make things more complex, Jesus then brings up another instance where a group of people died by a tower falling on them, right? Just to challenge the crowd in their thinking and their assumptions, right? And thinking that bad things happen only to bad people. Jesus wants to break that and take them out of that whole misconception. While we live in a fallen world, bad things will just happen Bad things happen. But Jesus wants to get to the deeper issue at hand, which is bringing a light to a common necessity for us all, which is repentance. So repentance is a turning towards Christ and away from sin. It's a turning towards Christ, away from sin. It's a reorientation, a redirection to new life. Repenting from sin is not meant to be purely out of emotions. Even though our awareness of sin um, should grieve us, that should grieve us, that should be, there should be an emotional element to that. But it's not, a, it's not an emotional reaction or response. It's not a mental shift of determination. Repentance, as Jesus describes it, is a turning away from death toward new life. It is a turning towards faith and obedience. As all people perish... Repentance is a spiritual submission and a resolve to walk in the light. So repentance is submission and action at the same time. Every Christian is called to, to have, to be acting in repentance, to be repentant. I like what uh, J.I. Packer, he says about repentance. He says, repentance is the fruit of faith. And inseparable from faith, mean the negative aspect as faith is the positive. It's of turning to Christ as Lord and Savior. The idea that there can be saving faith without repentance, that the one can be justified by embracing Christ as Savior while refusing him as Lord, is a destructive delusion. The way I like to think about it is as repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. 
Both, both are from God. Both are, necess- are necessary for an obedient, thriving faith in Christ. It is to trust Christ as Savior and as Lord. But I often think that we normally think of uh, faith is all on God. And repentance is all on us, right? God gives us the faith, but it's up to us to do all the work of repentance. But God is very much involved on both. The act of repentance alone is a sign of his grace, of the Spirit moving and stirring within the heart and drawing us toward to follow Jesus to see the sins, to see the things that we are our shortcomings and moving towards him and having the strength to even do so. Repentance and faith are just two sides of the same coin. Every Christian lays down their life in allegiance to Christ and repents of their old way of living. Then over time, the Spirit brings about repentance by revealing ourselves in the light that we now live in. So there is a, there is a repentance of turning towards salvation in Christ, and then throughout the Christian life, there is a revealing of sin that we need to turn to Christ in and turn away from and leave behind as God continues to expose, to refine, to what the, the theological term sanctify us is in. That's when we're moving through. It's different than confession because confession is something we're called all to do all the time, to confess what we've done. Repentance involves action. Repentance involves a spiritual turning. In Christ, we see ourselves as we really are, broken, sinful, and in need of grace. One of my favorite examples of of repentance at works is in the story um, of Pilgrim's Progress. The, um, The main character, Christian, the whole thing is is this allegory of faith. Christian comes to faith in the city of destruction. He realizes that if he stays there, he perishes, he dies. So he turns towards the celestial city. He repents, turns towards the celestial city, and begins his journey, begins his pilgrim, his progress towards, towards, the, towards the end, right? He repents of his old way of life and turns towards life. But that's not where the story ends. If that was Christian's only moment of repentance, well, what about everything else that happens throughout the story? That one moment was repentance, yes. But now, the whole progress of Christian is his repenting and his failings in seeing and being exposed to his shortcomings and repenting and turning towards those and letting his friends, his helpers, those people, show him and lead him to it. It is a turning of all of his old things, laying down his old life. When he's in the narrow gate, he takes a shortcut. 
And that leads him towards all sorts of mess, right? When his burden is removed, he has this big burden on his back. Hopefully, if you haven't read that, you really need to read that because then this will all make sense. So, so go back and read it. But his burden's removed and he's given a scroll that like seals his, his position in the celestial city, right? And then what happens? He loses it. He falls asleep and it rolls down a hill and then he can't find it. So then he has to go back and find it. Each story is a story of showing and displaying the shortcomings. And friends, the Christian life is one where repentance is critical. It is essential. In an act of faith and a posture of repentance, over and over we are compelled to seek Christ. We come to know that we can't do it on our own. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and Christ has provided a way to eternal life. In Jesus, death has lost its sting, and it is only a passing moment into eternal life. And the time is now. Mark 1.15, what we heard earlier, where John the Baptist, he cries out to all these people who were hearing, all who were listening, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Turn away from your old life and turn towards new life in the Savior, in the Messiah who has come. And like every good lesson, Jesus finishes with the story. He tells a parable of righteousness that moves us away from the people's needs to the perspective of God himself. So let's read verses 6 through 9 together. And this is the, this is, I call it a parable of righteousness, but it's the parable of the fig tree. So he says, he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree that planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, Listen, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, Sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not... You can cut it down. And we're just left with that. So to make sure that we're all just kind of on the same page here, what, what is Jesus talking about? Well, God the Father and the Son are represented alongside people, Israel. The parable is contextual, yes, for, for, the, for the crowd, but it applies to all of us. And we are not the man. We are not the man and we're not the vineyard worker. We're the fig tree. That's us. The fig tree who's not bearing any fruit, who's not producing any fruit. And Jesus is doing this for a reason, to examine, for, for the people and for us, to examine ourselves as not bearing fruit. What it means and the purpose of repentance. 
God the Father is the man who owns the vineyard, and his request is totally reasonable. It's rooted in righteousness. Excellent care was given to this fig tree. It's planted in like ideal circumstances. It's fertilized well, but it hasn't produced any fruit. So it's a righteous response to say, cut it down. But the vineyard worker, other translations call him the caretaker, pleads with the owner on the fig tree's behalf. Jesus has placed himself as the caretaker who puts himself in the position to tend to the tree and endure the hard labor of trying everything for it to bear fruit. And Jesus putting himself as that, as that caretaker, I'm going to call him that because I, like, I just like that more. He says, it's Jesus who's going to dig around. Jesus is going to fertilize, pay, pay close attention to the tree while it struggles to bear fruit. Friends, if you are a Christian, you serve a God of righteousness and mercy. God has called you to repent and turn to him for new life, and he is patient with you when you stumble. Repentance is still required, but what we see in this parable is the patience of Jesus and the mercy that he has to steadfastly stick by us when we do stumble and in the process of repentance, repentance itself. He is patient with us. This is a parable of righteousness and it's a parable of mercy. So what, it, what does that look like for us then? If it, it means that when Jesus sets himself to dig around and to fertilize, expect a blow to your heart. Expect a blow to your lusts and cravings. A blow to your comforts. Jesus is uprooting everything your heart has rooted itself in that is apart from him. And he plans to take away all the bad soil from all the roots and replace it with his own. I remember I was talking to uh, Jonathan Boyd and I, we were talking about plants because I don't know if you know that Jonathan is like plant expert. He has tons of different plants, but we were talking about when you're transferring um, plants into different soil. And he said he first learned about how, how he was like too gentle with it and that he needed to be harder with it when he went to a plant shop. And the plant shop was working, um, you know, these these planters were working with all of these different plants and soil and they would take them and they would uproot a plant and then he said to his surprise they would like whack it on the counter and they would shake off all the soil all the soil was done and they were way more rough with it than he it was ever rough with his plants and then was to totally clear out the soil to totally clear out anything that was obstructing and in the way and in that it's 
reading this again reminded me of that process of the pain that we sometimes feel. It's for our good if we're in a process of turning towards Christ in obedience. John Bunyan commented with this, on this parable with saying, Barren fig tree, see here the care, the love, the labor, and way in which the Lord Jesus, the dresser of the vineyard, is fair to take you with him so you may be fruitful. The promise that we have that this parable speaks to us is, yes, we are called to walk in obedience to Jesus. We are called to repent, to turn towards him and away from our old life, from away from our sins. But we're comforted in that we know Christ and we know him more deeply. We are comforted in knowing knowing the caretaker, knowing Jesus. It's Christ alone who redeems us. And our response in that pain, in that shaking, in that, in that dirt being replaced, in, that, um, in all of that growing towards him, walking towards him, is to be comforted, to take refuge, to turn to him who acts on our behalf with mercy. Psalm 34, verse 22, it says, The Lord redeems the life of his servants, and all who take refuge in him will not be punished. But friends, don't miss the warning. Time does matter. The owner will come back. And the owner will have a new response. We aren't meant to interpret this as Jesus' patience and mercy equals we get to take our time and kind of do what we want. God is calling you to act now, to turn now, not later. With patience, is a message of urgency that Jesus is speaking to us. But Christian, if you are called to trust Jesus, turn towards him. Keep turning towards him. If you feel the weight and the snare of sin in your life, let him uproot you and give you new soil so that you may enjoy new fruit. Out of a life of faith and repentance is a life of fruit. It's a life of prosperous fruit. Let the Holy Spirit compel you to see Christ. Jesus died on the cross for us and rose again so that we might be found in his righteousness and receive his mercy. The parable that we see shows that that fig tree is totally helpless on its own. It needs, its, it needs righteousness to cover him, to cover which Jesus does for us. We are clothed in his righteousness. We receive his mercy. And Jesus calls us into himself so that we might be comforted 
in knowing him all the more. I want to end our time together with this promise that God made to Israel just before they entered into the promised land. And in many ways, Israel in this moment, just before they're about to go into the promised land, has been uprooted, right? They've been resoiled. They've had their snare of blows. They've been shaken. But listen to God's promise to them. This is Deuteronomy 4, verse 29 through 31. He says, but from there, as they're entering into the promised land, you will search for the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, in the future you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them by oath, because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. We serve a compassionate God who cares very much for your soul and is drawing you into himself so that you may know him and be aware of the sins you need to lay down so that his grace can shine all the more. We have a compassionate God. We have a patient God. It's up to us to continue to be comforted in him and to know him. Let's pray.